0: Good morning and welcome everybody You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, SM18, or 88 Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are Positively different radio in the morning, you're with Lyle and... Angela Angela, how are you this morning?
1: I am excellent
0: You are excellent this morning? I am That's good Because I'm you...
1: out of bed
0: <laughs> That's always a good start when you're doing radio That's true We did have Lawson do radio from his bed one morning, very briefly um, and it didn't go so well So being out of bed is definitely an advantage <laughs> I was actually true. up at Big Camp And we, we, um, we went over to his tent And raided his tent And dragged him out of bed um, It was good fun oh. Live on air
1: I'm not gonna tell you where I live <laughs>
0: <laughs> what are you thankful for this morning apart from the fact we have not raided your home and dragged you out
1: <laughs> well I messed up yesterday I am thankful for my father because yesterday was Monday in Australia which means it was Sunday in America and it was Father's Day in America so American I want to say Day. that I'm super thankful for my father and I just um, yes I'm very blessed to have a father who loves Jesus and who is a hard worker and dedicated to his family so I'm very thankful for my dad.
0: Mm, very good, very good. You can't, uh, it, it'd be hard to top that one. It would definitely be hard to top that one. Okay, so I'm thankful that today was longer than yesterday.
1: Because oh, you're talking about the winter solstice.
0: The winter solstice is past, <laughs> it is over, it is done. And from now on, summer is coming. Every day that goes by is getting us one day closer to summer. The days are getting longer.
1: I should have looked up when the summer solstice solstice was in America because I'm going the other way.
0: Yeah, indeed.
1: (laughs) My days are going to get shorter when I go home.
0: Yeah, we're going to be going... Well, you'll still catch the air. You'll still catch some summer. Oh, I will. Yeah. Yes. So that'd be nice. You get a year with two summers. That's the main thing. (laughs) Yeah, if I could do it, I would do that. I would just move between the north and the south and have uh, summer all year long. But unfortunately, that would be expensive. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right. Tell us some positively different news this morning, Angela.
1: All right. Well, the first one, um, as a farmer's daughter, is farms of the future. But I don't know quite what I've decided how I think of these farms yet. So it's in Paris. So it could be
0: positive or it could be negative.
1: No, I mean, I think growing food is always positive. But the way that this is being grown is quite different than what I'm used to. See, when I go out and farm, I come back with dirty knees and dirt in my fingernails. And I think that's very normal and, and good and wonderful.
0: And healthy
1: I think so, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, but this, this kind of farming is a little bit different. Um, it's on top of a city roof in Paris. And so it started uh, in 2017 by Acropolis, and it's a part of a city-led, city-led project called Paris Cultures, uh, which will see 100 hectares of vegetation planted across Paris by the end of the year. And they currently have 10 farms running um, or planning around the city. And this farm is a vertical system. It's closed loop, doesn't waste any water, and doesn't use any pesticides. In season, it produces um, between twenty to 30,000 portions of fruit, salad, and vegetables.
0: Okay. So this is growing on the tops of buildings or the outsides of buildings? The top. On the top. On the rooftop. On the rooftop.
1: Yep.
0: Okay, so basically just turning all of the flat rooftops, I'm assuming they're flat rooftops,
1: mm-hmm.
0: into growing space for agriculture.
1: Sounds awesome, right?
0: I like it. Sounds I think this incredible. is an amazing idea. I think you see some of these new buildings, some of these new Skyrise buildings, where they have plants that just grow all down the sides of them. Mm-hmm. And I've always looked at those and thought, yeah, you know what? If I lived in one of those, I'd open my window and I'd just shove a couple of tomato plants in amongst all those other things. And <laughs> lo and behold, I would have fresh tomatoes out my window.
1: Oh, you hope. Or maybe it would go down to your neighbor below you and they would enjoy your fresh
0: tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Is probably what would happen. <laughs> or not being a, uh, a cliff-type plant, they might just fall out and land on somebody's head.
1: That would, you know, delight the walkers. Definitely.
0: Yeah, that's probably why they don't grow tomatoes on the sides of buildings. But anyway.
1: (laughs) So, their big goal was a 14,000 square farm atop the Paris Expo Porte de Versailles with more than 30 different plant species. Um, They were hoping to produce 1,000 kilograms of goods every day in high season. Um, They weren't able, they were trying to open up at the end of April, but due to the pandemic and the closures and stuff, they will be opening at the end of June. And visitors will be able to eat. Um, at a 300-cover on-site restaurant, attend educational tours, and even lease small vegetable pots of their own. And the all-organic produce cultivated by around 20 gardeners will be grown using aeroponic vertical farming methods.
0: Aeroponics will be growing growing them on air? I've heard heard of hydroponics. Do you
1: know what aeroponics... Hydroponics is growing it
0: in water. That makes sense to me, but seriously, growing them on air?
1: Okay, yeah, any idea what that could mean? Aeroponic vertical farming method
0: no idea
1: yeah i didn't have any idea either i had done the other kind of farming i looked into other kind of farming but this one was a new new one for me and when you look at it it honestly looks like i don't know something out of a laboratory or futuristic it, everything is clean and sparkling and white and perfect little green plants and there's no dirt
0: so there's water then
1: yes so basically so why is that
0: that's that's, that's hydroponics well hydroponics on a rooftop
1: but the way this works is um that there's nutrient mist that sprays the roots so the roots are just dangling first they plant it in foam and then it just spritz this nutrient water on it every couple minutes and then there's light that they project on top of the plant so it's like light from the top um like kind of led lights and then mist that spritz the roots from the bottom and that is how they grow. And this
0: is this is this is um, financially sustainable, efficient way of growing.
1: They say it's fantastic.
0: That is just bizarre. Okay, so in other words, in other words, what you have then is a garden that is watered by mist.
1: Yes, nutrient laden mist. That's key.
0: Okay, because if I read my Bible, the original garden was watered by mist. And it did very well.
1: It did. It also had dirt.
0: Yeah, true. <laughs> true that. <laughs> Seems to
1: be something missing, but um, it will be interesting to see how it goes. The closed loop system used ninety five percent less irrigation than plants grown in soil, which I thought really was interesting.
0: That's bizarre. So, I would have thought it would have used so much more.
1: And they say that it uses less like harsh chemicals because everything is completely sterilized. And if you look at the pictures of this aeroponics, it honestly looks like a perfectly clean laboratory you just walk around in. I mean, as a girl, a little girl, I would have loved that. I hated dirt in my fingernails. <laughs> Should have asked my parents can we do aeroponic vertical farming? <laughs> but the thing is it's actually more of a science which farming is a science to be honest but this is a very very delicate science where if they lose power at all because the the spray happens every couple minutes your roots will dry out and dissipate because it's so dependent on it so it's very very like integral kind of farming where you're watching everything in your chemical levels and everything just is set to a perfect they use all these little computer screens I think it kind of takes the joy out of farming personally, but at the same time, people eating fresh veggies is wonderful, so it is positive news.
0: So, so um, what kind of what kind of farming do you do in in Michigan?
1: Uh, well, we bale hay, so we actually live on a little less than a hundred acres, and uh, we grew up baling hay. So I grew up driving a tractor, and we bale fifty, sixty pounds. I don't know what that is in kilos. Well, like twenty five, thirty kilos, a little less. Um, and yeah, I'd be up driving the tractor and then there's the baler and then my dad's on the back on the wagon. And, uh, yeah, my dad didn't always like my driving cause sometimes I got confused and pushed the wrong pedals and made the whole load come forward. And my dad had to put his arms out to stop the bales from coming. <laughs> but in addition to that, we also had a massive garden that I used to pretend, well, not really, but I used to think I was a slave, which is really pathetic, but I did, <laughs> 'Cause the yeah, cornrows seem really probably, long. You're, you're
0: probably not the only child who has thought that uh, um, from their parents on occasions. I think my children have claimed that on occasions as well.
1: But you know but, what's funny is now I can't wait to have a garden of my own. So I'm very thankful for my parents. So as I it, wonder whether you could and it pays off.
0: I wonder whether you could grow hay using aeroponics. How would you wouldn't really be able to harvest it though?
1: No. I don't know. Because no. it's
0: not going to be a system that would support the weight. Well, you have to understand,
1: there's these beautiful white poles with like trays and everything's perfectly clean and clear.
0: And so maybe what you do is you put the tray on a conveyor belt. When it's ready to harvest, the conveyor belt turns, all the hay gets cut off and baled as it goes, or well, has to go into a dryer first, but yeah, This is a great concept, I think we should see more of it You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM Positively different And of course we have uh, here in the studio this morning Darren Pratt Darren, welcome to the show Good morning, good to be back on Faith FM And of course for those of you who don't know Darren Darren spent the last 26 years in children's ministry So we just actually uh, calculated that through Worked out how long it was And it's been a fairly significant amount of time Um, But just a very quick comment as we get started um scomo's made some changes here in australia
2: yes yes actually i am i thought this was controversial some say but i think it's a good move um putting in place mandatory sentencing for um federal and those that of course go out of the country etc and are convicted of a sexual crime against children they're putting in place a mandatory sentence
0: i think this is excellent news i i very strongly support it myself uh what, what Why was there a need for mandatory creating mandatory sentencing what was What well, was taking place in the past
2: well what, what we 're seeing is and um, as I said earlier in in other shows um only one percent of sexual abuse against children type of cases actually make it to court and get any sort of conviction. but what was happening was that forty percent of those who were convicted of a child related sexual offense were not getting a jail sentence um so that was um, often a plea bargain. Oh, I'll plead guilty and I'll get um, a snap over the wrist or whatever else and get on with my life sort of thing. So um, ScoMo, good on him, has yes. pushed through this law yes. to say, hang on, these guys are convicted. They need to serve some sort of time as a deterrent against um,
0: sexual abuse against children. And this is, and this is something that you know I'm personally passionate about. If somebody commits a murder, we give them a life sentence. That's right. When somebody abuses a child... They give the child a life sentence and then they might, well, as you were saying, 40% of them are not even getting a prison term. That's
2: right. That's right. So they're putting in place a minimum sentence for a convicted offender of five years and increase the maximum to from 20 to 25 years.
0: So that's the equivalent of murder. Yeah. <laughs> and that's appropriate because of you know they have destroyed a life.
2: That's right. They've destroyed lives or sometimes often it's multiple lives. So. Yeah. Um, and also, they've also increased the laws around when um, someone who's above the age of consent um, sex, sexting using a carriage service um, to groom a child, they're putting in place minimum sentences for that as well. So that's um, a maximum now of 15
0: years and again a minimum of five years. So, Very, very good move. Very good move. I really support this. I think that we've been uh, let down by our judicial system here in Australia
2: very much so Uh,
0: in the past and good to see it coming to an end
2: yeah I I think it's um, a a great move I really do Mm. Um, to see um, yeah I I hear the stories and the stories you hear of um, people who have never told the story may never want to tell the story again um, it's harrowing to hear what they've gone through and yeah and what it does to them as you say it's a life sentence Lyle and um, the perpetrators need to know that this is not on.
0: And when I say a life sentence, I'm not saying that these people can't go on and have successful lives. Many and do. And receive healing through, you know, particularly through the grace of God and and Jesus Christ. And, um, but those scars, those scars just always remain.
2: Well, that's what I was reading um yesterday in in some research that um especially when it comes to abuse done in spiritual circles, those spiritual scars remain for a lifetime and. It is really, it's possible, but it is hard to find healing, mm. complete healing. It's, all, it's always there, mm. always there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, good to see ScoMo doing something about that. You've recently been to a, a, a conference. Yes, we we ran last week um, into
2: Generate Australia, which is a team I'm part of. We ran a conference, and normally at a, our conference we've done the last three years, we get about 60, 70 to 100, which we think is pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, But last week, we had 400 people Zoom in for this conference from all over the world.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, so obviously, the conference taking place the way that conferences do during uh, COVID, and that is online via Zoom and so forth. That's a pretty impressive uh, gathering compared to what you've had in previous years. We were just blown away. And it, it says to me that
2: churches now are asking the question... What does it mean to do church well together? And what does it mean to family well together? There are two questions that have been asked, and um, this conference fed right into that. I mean, we're looking at COVID, we realize that COVID, some are saying it's at an end. Uh, I'm not sure about
0: that. Um, no, we just hit um, 9 million cases worldwide, 9.1, and we've got to remember that it took three months to get to the first million cases. The last million cases, it only took us eight days to get there.
2: That's right. So, so
0: people think that COVID's over. That's only because you live in Australia.
2: Well, you look at what's happening down in Victoria right now, they're, they're saying that possibly a second wave is second happening wave, right now. Second
0: wave going through South Korea right now.
2: That's right. Um, and the United States is just a mess. Um, we're not really sure what's happening there. I mean, Donald Trump said at the weekend, let's just stop testing and we have less cases. <laughs>
0: that, um, that would that would be true <laughs> that would that would lower the figures and this is the thing these are the official figures that's right they suspect that the real figures might be double or three times what we actually have because of underreporting, um, underreporting, lack of reporting um, asymptomatic cases that uh, and lack of testing that's right so you know it's a, it's a much bigger problem than what, well, than what we actually see and you know talking to a friend of mine last night who's an airline pilot And, of course, he's had to find alternative employment because, you know, there's just nobody in that industry that is employed at the moment. And best case scenario, you know, because we're like, oh, yeah, it's kind of over. You know, life is going back to normal. Best case scenario for these guys is that they they won't be back in the air until the end of next year. Wow.
2: I'm hoping to fly to the States next year, but maybe it won't happen. But <laughs> yeah,
0: that, this is the thing. They're not planning to be in the air until the end of next year. And this is what they've been told uh, by their employer, not to expect to, to have any work you know, until the end of next year. Well,
2: they'll be studying the data and realising yeah, what's possibly to come. Right. Um, but yeah, I think um, as far as church goes, um, the whole COVID thing is starting to help us think about yeah, what does church really look like? What's important? What's not important? What do we do differently? How do we do church well? Um so um that's things to think about. And I know that some smaller churches are now starting to open. Um and yeah, everything's changed. No more potlucks at the moment. No more singing. You can't sing in church. Now
0: how well, do you... you can, it's just advised against.
2: <laughs> that's right. That's right. Or silent singing maybe. Um but Yeah, for me, singing's a part of church, but they're saying, no, um, singing's a super spreader for the virus, so Mm. I understand that. Um, Even things like, I noticed noticed some churches have put their pews up for sale. There's a move to remove pews from church, because often pews jam people in, whereas single seats, you can space them out a bit more. So the move from pews to single seating is happening right now. there's churches up the road from us that's got their pews up for sale right now. So,
0: yeah. So what does that then mean for social connectedness? I mean, church has always been about, and this is, this is really one of the primary reasons that God invented church in the first place, was to create an atmosphere of social connectedness. Are we disconnecting? You know, we disconnected from each other when screens went into our pockets. Mm, mm. Are we going to further disconnect as a result of covid
2: I would hope not, and I don't know if anybody else here wants to comment on that. But I would, I would hope not that um that there's there's ways to find connection. Now I remember as a kid, um. There was a, I mean, what's happened in probably in the past in my lifetime is there's been a move to separate the church, so. The youth go over there and the children go over there and the adults are here and the young adults are over there and except your young married and the singles and we tend to try and home in on various different departments, if you like, so that we can minister to them. And that came out of the idea of, of um social theory, social development theory, that um, people develop different ages and stages and we can now hone in and do it right. But by doing that, we lost social connectedness even there. I mean, I grew up in a church, and I can remember it in my dim, dark past, I'm not that old, um, just over 50. I remember when the church was together for everything socials, and Sabbath school, and church. We separated for our lessons, but we did Sabbath school together. Um, we did church service together, and everything was done together and done well. There was afternoon program we were all in together. Um, and the youth did their thing, and the adults watched and cheered them on. Um, We lost that in the 80s and the early 90s. Um, The church lost its, if you like, its social togetherness to some extent. And this is where Intergenerate is saying, well, actually, the research is now saying that our children grow well and um, are more likely to stay if they're immersed in this community of church and feel like they
0: belong and can contribute. Angela, you're a school teacher. I see you nodding your head over there. What are your thoughts on this?
1: Oh, I think we've totally lost cross-generational and the benefits of it. I'm always trying to encourage my kids to hang out with the older generation. There's so much to learn and there's so much stability and connecting with the older generation and we've completely lost that. Um, And it's something that I've tried to creatively create in my classroom where I have grandparents come in from the church. We call it, you know, they come and they read to my little ones. Um, In high school, I would um, have my kids want to pen pal to nursing homes. Um, I think there is such a benefit with Crossing the Generation. And I think that we could get much more creative with the way that we do that.
0: So Darren, in a world where we are also tackling the issue of child abuse... Yep, and so now we now have so many regulations in place as to what you can and can't do around children, which is which is a really important thing, and and something I really support. How do we how do we navigate the line between creating intergenerational ministry and protecting our children at the same time?
2: Well, I believe, Lyle, there's actually a um, inbuilt safety into intergenerational together because everyone is together there's no dark corners there's no one-on-one in, in the in the back room and um, there's no one one teacher with three or four kids this is everyone is in together and that provides a natural protection because everyone is watching out um, for the younger ones so I, I believe it's and it's going to help with those sorts of figures um, of abuse by encouraging those intergenerational connections
0: this has been part of church culture as you say, since the late 70s. That's a, that's a fair chunk of time. That's pretty much um, you know, your lifetime, my lifetime, as far as what we remember as church goes. How do we change the culture? And, 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 and along with that, how long do you think it's going to take to change culture back to a healthier well, environment?
2: Well, ships, ships turn slowly slowly. Um And we were all frustrated as a team um, for the last few years thinking, no one's listening, no one really wants to hear our story, no one really is interested in what it takes to do intergenerational connections well. Um, And of course, it's harder to do because to run a good intergenerational worship service takes a lot more effort, a lot more creativity, a lot more time. But the the benefits, um, it's since the 70s that we've noticed that our kids are leaving um, when I was a kid, talking to um, a retired youth director, um, he said in his time, back in the, the the 50s and 60s, it was we lost about 20% of our kids. We're now losing currently between 60 and 80% of kids that grow up in our church are choosing to leave. And I wonder if there's a correlation between the loss of intergenerational connectedness and the loss of belonging, and so our kids are wandering to other places to try and find belonging. So, yeah.
0: Um, so, really, what we've ha- what we've seen in recent times, I guess, in within our lifetime, is a step by step dismantling of that intergenerational social connectedness that creates healthy communities. That's right. We look at the
2: scriptures, Lyle. Um, the scriptures, when you look at families, it's not just mum, dad, and two point five kids family in the scriptures is a whole clan of people so when the word family is used in scripture it's always um the idea of of having a clan together around those kids and that's the best way to grow them
0: has the increased increasingly urban environment that we've seen in the last 200 years i mean you grew up in the bush i grew up in the bush um has you know so we've gone from small villages to huge cities has that had an impact as well
2: definitely definitely and um as you said, technology, um, the loss of um, people like pumping your petrol and um, packing your groceries and talking at the registers, all those things, going to the bank and talking to someone, all that community connectedness has been lost. That's say the church is possibly the only place left that can actually do this and do it well, um, mm-hmm. where all the generations come together. Um, and I think we need to get serious about post-COVID about what that looks like
0: fantastic darren pratt thank you so much for joining us here on the breakfast show you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm positively different it is question of the day time who's got question of the day somebody had question of the day here okay who's got question of the day what is our question of the day um darren question
2: of the day Here it is, euthanasia versus passive withdrawal of medical support.
0: Okay, euthanasia versus passive withdrawal from medical support. Is there a difference between the two? Should we have one and not the other or neither of them or both of them? Okay, so we had an interesting discussion here during the song break in the studio. (laughs) And there are a couple of uh, differences of opinion here. So, Angela, you uh, feel that we treat our animals better than we do humans?
1: Unfortunately, I think we are kinder and more merciful to our animals sometimes than we are to humans.
0: Okay. Let me challenge. Can I challenge you? On, I'm going to of challenge course. you on that. <laughs> it's going to happen. I'm not saying that
1: I have like this strong stance on one or the other. I just sure. think it's something to think about.
0: Okay, so this is. I'll tell you what my strong stance is. My strong stance is against euthanasia and for passively withdrawing uh, medical support. And some people might see that as contradictory. Let me share with you why. By conducting euthanasia, what we are doing is obviously taking a person's life and it's a mercy killing and we do that with our animals all the time Mm. uh, because we love our animals so it's an act of love and i understand that i get that and i totally support an act of love the difference between us and our animals is the opportunity for salvation and when you take somebody's life you have cut off any you know that's that's the end of their opportunity for salvation and because we as human beings cannot read another person's heart that should not be our choice that should be god's choice when a person's probation closes, which is why the Bible says thou shalt not kill. The reason the Bible says thou shalt not kill, and the context there of thou shalt not kill, is obviously not in relationship to animals, it's in relationship to humans. The reason that God says that is because no human has the right to close another person's probation. And so we might find a human being who is suffering and uncomfortable and and, and, and terminal, and we say, okay, we need to, we need to for, because we love this person, we need to end their suffering by ending their life. But how do we know what is going on in their mind and in their relationship, their connection with God in the meantime? Passively reducing their medication, on the other hand, is a different scenario. And this is the difference between the two. When a person becomes ill and they're terminally ill, their life is in the hands of God because as human beings, they're terminal. There's nothing we can do about it. God can and on occasions does heal people who are terminally ill. I have no problem with leaving somebody in the hands of God and saying, okay, God, this is this, is this person right here. We love this person. They are terminally ill. There is nothing we can do to save their life. And therefore, they are in your hands for you to decide when they pass away. And by passively withdrawing medical support, that's what we're doing. We're placing that person in the hands of God. We're not actually uh, proactively ending their life. We are just withdrawing the unnatural interventions that were keeping them alive
1: true so almost in a way by choosing not to take the life but you're not trying to save it either
0: exactly exactly so what the difference is between taking a life and not saving a life that's the difference i see between mm. between those two right there and that's and that's the that's the uh, that's the reason i take that particular position uh, and it's based around the concept of thou shalt not kill now, in that situation, you know, I, myself, and I think, Darren, you were expressing the same thing. If We've, we've both, both expressed to our spouses that if we are terminally ill, to leave us in God's hands and just give us whatever is needed to make us as comfortable as possible.
2: That's what I've said to my wife. I don't want to be there suffering for ages because my pacemaker or something else is keeping me alive. Um, yeah, let me die.
0: Yeah. And I think that's an appropriate thing to do. I think it's one of those conversations that, uh, particularly, you know, spouses and uh, need to have. They need to have those conversations so that um, they're able to follow through on the, their loved ones' last wishes, because it's something we're all going to have to deal with at some stage of our life.